Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. From the creator of Bull Durham and White Men Can't Jump. The club head was waggle the club. Comes a story. Oh! That's a pretty girl in such an ugly swing. About men and women and the games they play. Remember, this game's about trust, touch, and letting go. Hi, darling. Hi, honey. Oh, no, not, not him. You got it bad, huh? <laughs> Something about that chick. I uh, take it you're a feminist. No one's ever saddled me with that one. Well, you might try being saddled sometime. Smell of leather, sting of a whip. Yes! She must think I'm such a loser, lousy driving range pro. Local legend Roy Tin Cup McAvoy, <laughs> the best player to never hit the big time. It's an easy game, this golf. Wasn't going anywhere. Oh. It's got to be the woman. I thought you said it was a virus. Well, uh, a woman can have the same effect. But ever since Dr. Molly Griswold got inside his head... I think I'm in love with you. What? He's been changing his whole approach. From the moment I first saw you, I knew I was through with bar girls and strippers and motorcycle chicks and... Stunned, huh? Tell me you're not at least moderately attracted to me. You have moments, Roy. Yeah, well, you tell me which ones are my moments and I'll try and duplicate them. Just thinking about how to get in your heart. You're all nuts. Yeah. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Tin Cup from 1996. The studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was August 16, 1996. The running time, 134 minutes, and it was rated R. The budget, $45 million, and the box office took in $53.8 million, making it the 28th ranked movie of 1996. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 71% fresh from 52 reviews. Their critics' consensus is breezy and predictable. Tin Cup is a likable sports comedy that benefits greatly from Kevin Costner's amiable lead performance. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. When you hit a perfect golf shot, a quote, tuning fork goes off in your heart. So says Tin Cup McAvoy, the club pro at a $2 a bucket golf driving range in Salome, Texas. A range so pitiful that in the course of this movie, he only has one customer. But when he sees her, a tuning fork goes off in his heart and elsewhere. Kevin Costner is unshaven, creased, weather-beaten, and in need of a bath during much of Tin Cup. That's more or less how he looked in Waterworld too. but this time there's a charm. The movie was written and directed by Ron Shelton, a one-time minor league baseball player whose credits include writing and directing Bull Durham, which also starred Kevin Costner and writing White Man Can't Jump and Cobb. He knows sports, and he especially knows the world of the hanger-on, the world of girlfriends, cronies, gamblers, broadcasters, and businessmen who like to get close to sports heroes. Some of the funniest scenes in Tin Cup involve unlikely bets with amateurs who think they should be professionals. 
Tin Cup is well-written, the dialogue is smart and fresh, and when Costner and Rene Russo are talking to each other, they savor the joy of language. The movie is strong in supporting characters. Don Johnson finds the right blend for the villain. He's likable, tanned, and ingratiating when it suits him, and a jerk the rest of the time. Cheech Marin is crucial in a couple of sequences in which he is the caddy and knows Tin Cup is calling for the wrong club. And an actress named Linda Hart has some nice moments as the local stripper who is the landlady of the driving range. Ron Shelton's gift is to take the main lines of the story, which are fairly routine, and add side stories that make the movie worth seeing. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Now, I'm pretty sure I saw this with my dad in the theater this summer when I graduated high school. We, of course, both enjoy Kevin Costner and his sports movies especially. So while Caddyshack and Happy Gilmore, which was also released in 1996, might be the obvious comedic choices for best comedy films involving golf, Tin Cup might be the best all-around golf movie, since it isn't purely a comedy at all times. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Kevin Costner plays Roy McAvoy. Now, I've already covered Costner's career in the Bull Durham and For Love of the Game episode, so I'll just list the movies he appeared in from Bull Durham, which was 1988, up until Tin Cup in 96. And this was arguably his peak success. He was in Field of Dreams, Dance with Wolves, which he also directed, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, JFK, The Bodyguard, A Perfect World, Wyatt Earp, and Waterworld. Rene Russo plays Dr. Molly Griswold. Russo's career started in the late 80s, with her breakout role coming in another sports comedy, which was a great one, 1989's Major League. And then for most of the 1990s, she was one of the top actresses. She was in One Good Cop with Michael Keaton, Free Jack, Lethal Weapon 3, In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, and Get Shorty, all prior to Tin Cup. Don Johnson plays David Sims. Of course, if you lived during the 1980s, you know Don Johnson was synonymous with 80s cool from his role on the hit TV show Miami Vice playing Crockett. However, his career really started in the early 70s, and he appeared in a variety of TV shows. Miami Vice lasted from 1984 until 1989, and then Johnson appeared in a few films, but in 1996, that was a great year for him, because not only was he in 10 Cup, he starred in yet another hit TV show, Nash Bridges, which lasted until 2001, which also co-starred the next person, that being, of course, Cheech Marin, who plays Romeo. Marin is still probably best known for his work as part of the 1970s comedy duo Cheech and Chong. Go check out the Up in Smoke episode. That duo was incredibly popular with their comedy albums and, of course, their stoner comedy movies. By the late 1980s, though, Marin was attempting to break out of the standard Cheech and Chong-type films and be his own person. Born in East LA in 1987 was a good example of this. He would also do voiceover work on animated films and TV shows. He was even the voice of Buck the Dog on Married with Children for a few seasons. The director, Ron Shelton. Now, I went through Shelton's career on the Bull Durham episode, and Ebert gave a brief rundown of how he used to be a minor league baseball player before getting into films. The three films Shelton directed between Bull Durham and Tin Cup were Blaze with Paul Newman, White Man Can't Jump with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, and then Cobb, which was the Ty Cobb biopic with Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens at a rundown driving range in West Texas as an armadillo scampers around the range during the opening credits. Now, Caddyshack had a golfer. Well, Tin Cup has an armadillo. The owner of the range is Roy McAvoy, affectionately nicknamed Tin Cup. His good friend is Romeo Cheech Marion and a number of ragtag guys who like to hang around the range all the time. It's a good group of character actors like Dennis Berkeley and Rex Lynn and Lou Myers. Any shit hills ever get bored? 
You ever get bored? Yeah. I got a riddle. Uh, you got a riddle? <laughs> Takes about two ounces of brains to figure it out. Anybody think they got a brain with two ounces of brains in it? The rumor world does. Well, for Christ's sakes, boys, come on, a little self-confidence from the players' gallery, right? We ain't talking long division. How much we got left? You want to line things up, Earl? That's a hell of an idea. Say everyone puts in 20 bucks. Pot goes to whoever solves the riddle. You're going to get the riddle, Tim Cup. Dewey, I'm the one asking the riddle. I already know the answer, OK? I don't, I don't get a guess. All right. Although we could say if I get to 500 bounces on the old wedge here and no one gets the riddle, I get the pot. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's an impossible riddle. Well, it's not. It's an easy riddle. And if somehow, by the grace of fluke luck, I win, and y'all don't agree that it was an easy riddle, well, then hell, uh, I'll refund your money. I'm in. All right. Money in the bank. All, All right. The money. Here we go. Come on, give it up. Now, a man's driving down the road with his son, and he gets in a crash. Two ambulances come and take the man and his son to different hospitals, okay? Different hospitals. Son goes into the operating room, all right? The doctor looks at him and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. Now, how is that possible? Hmm? How is that possible? Clock's ticking, fellas. The father's still over there at the hospital. I mean, he didn't sneak back in, right? This ain't Star Trek, girl. Nobody beamed him aboard. All right, what about if uh, if the father married the son's daughter? It's a family riddle, girl. You got, you got to think clean thoughts. Hey, give us a little hint. You want a hint, Clint? A little hint. All right. The doctor's a woman. The doctor's a woman. See, the doctor's the son's mother. Feminists pose a riddle to reveal how deeply our sexual stereotypes run. I uh, take it you're a feminist. <laughs> Ma'am, I've been called a lot of things before, never been saddled with that one. Oh. Well, you might try being saddled sometime. Smell of leather, sting of a whip. Well, I'm just a humble golf pro. Could I help you? You're Roy McAvoy, the golf pro? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I pictured something uh, different. I have a seven o'clock lesson. I thought I had a Dr. Griswold. That's me. Okay. Off to a good start with a new client. So Dr. Molly Griswold is, of course, played by Rene Russo. Molly is a psychologist. Now, Roy used to be a golf pro, but he would always sabotage himself whenever he had a chance for greatness. So while he's charming in his own way and smarter than his buddies, he's always greater in his own mind, which constantly does him in. Roy's first lesson with Molly is hilarious as she puts on all of this ridiculous equipment that she bought off the Golf Channel, which is sold to newbie suckers willing to plop down some cash for unnecessary items, like an arm guard, a special visor, knee braces, and a golf watch. Roy cuts out all the bells and whistles and just tries to teach her the old-fashioned way. Something like that. It's impressive. You know, look, I, I tend to process things verbally, so do you think you could break down into words how you just did that? <laughs> I mean, what is the... What is the golf swing by Roy McAvoy? Well, I tend to think of the golf swing as a poem. Oh, he's doing that poetry thing again. 
critical opening phrase of this poem will always be the grip, which the hands unite to form a single unit by the simple overlap of the little finger. Right. And lowly and slowly, the club head is led back, pulled into position, not by the hands, but by the body, which turns away from the target, shifting weight to the right side without shifting balance. Tempo is everything, perfection unattainable. As the body coils now to the top of the swing, there's a slight hesitation, a little nod to the gods. A, a nod to the gods? Yeah, to the gods. That he is fallible. That perfection is unattainable. And now the weight begins shifting back to the left, pulled by the powers inside the earth. It's alive, this swing, a living sculpture. And down through contact, always down, striking the ball crisply with character. The tuning fork goes off in your heart. Your balls. Such a pure feeling as the well-struck golf shot. And then the follow-through to finish. Always online. The reverse C of the golden bear. Steelworkers, power, and brawn of Carl Sandberg's Arnold Palmer. Always oh, doing that Arnold Palmer thing. <laughs> and the unfinished symphony of Roy McAvoy. Um, what? What's unfinished? Well, I have a short follow-through. Has an unfinished look. Why? Well, some say it's because that's the easiest way to play through the winds of West Texas, and some say it's because I never finished anything in my life. You can decide, but the point is, every finishing position is unique. Huh. That's what the golf swing's all about. <laughs> it's about gaining control of your life and letting go at the same time geez louise <laughs> there's only one other acceptable theory about how to hit a golf ball oh boy well i'm afraid to ask <laughs> well what is it what's the other theory grip it and rip it <laughs> well you know um while i do appreciate your poetic sensibility mr McAvoy. call me roy molly well call me dr giswold roy <clears throat> but at this point I, I really think i'm more of the grip and rip it school oh then it's deed up all right waggle waggle no no, no. <laughs> he's got a waggling now oh lord waggle the club head okay oh. <laughs> it's a little relaxing ritual we do mm -hmm. okay okay let's waggle it Waggle it and let the big dog eat. What big dog? The driver, the number one wood. Well, this is metal. Yeah, well, woods are metal. Don't worry about it. The, the driver's known as the big dog. I'm just saying, let him loose. Let it rip. Let the big dog eat. Okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh <-huh. sighs> oh. You know, this is without a doubt the stupidest, silliest, most idiotic, grotesque, green masquerading is a game that has ever been invented. Yes, ma'am, and that's why I love it. And if you hit one good shot, okay, one, and that tuning fork rings in your loins, you can't wait to get back. Try it again. Well, I think the big dog just ate something there. Roy decides to end the lesson on a good shot and then asks meekly if he can be paid in cash. IRS troubles, of course. 
Molly then bluntly but kindly asks why he's stuck in a small town running this range when his reputation is of a terrific golfer. And Roy sarcastically says, well, maybe he's chock full of inner demons. And Molly thinks he's full of shit, but agrees to future lessons. The next day, golf pro David Sims, which is Don Johnson, arrives at the range to offer Roy a gig at his charity tournament. So Romeo and David chat a bit. And we get the backstory of Roy and David's rivalry, which goes all the way back to their college days at the University of Houston. Now, David's ego is as big as Texas, and he still has a chip on his shoulder that Roy is likely the better golfer than he is. Even with all of David's success, he's still jealous of Roy, though his arrogance will never allow that to be seen outwards. The tournament is being held at a course that Roy did very well at in the past. David wants Roy's expertise to help him win the tournament. Roy is actually very excited about this opportunity, thinking that Roy wants to partner with him in the tournament, meaning that Roy actually plays in the tournament. However, Roy completely misunderstands because David wants Roy to caddy for him, which really knocks Roy down even more levels than he already is. Romeo is incensed and tries to protect his buddy and tells David where to go, but Roy knows he needs the money, and he accepts David's offer. In the tournament, we see why Roy has never been successful in his life as a golfer. Instead of playing smart, he goes for the risky plays or tries to please the crowd. And while this is fun to watch, his lack of nuance with strategy will never allow him to win. David, on the other hand, is very conservative with his play. And while it's boring, well, he wins. It finally comes to a head on the 16th hole when Roy mocks David for taking a safe shot. David's playing partner makes a proposition that Roy could make the green that David actually laid back on. This is incredibly embarrassing to David, and he gives Roy an ultimatum. If Roy chooses to attempt this shot, he's fired. And of course, Roy just loves that adrenaline rush from the crowd, and he takes the shot and promptly gets fired in the middle of the tournament for showing up David. Let's go to West Texas. Will driving range pro Tin Cup McAvoy, serving as a caddy to David Sims at the celebrity event, he grabbed a three-wood out of his own bag and drilled a 240-yard shot over water to the 16th green. I had it all to do over. I still had that shot. Yeah, I know. Man, you build yourself a lap just to prove you could handle a shovel. You know why I still hit that shot? Yeah. Because it's the only way you could beat Dave Sims. No. Because you get that look in your face. I'd hit it again. Because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. I did not shrink from the challenge. I rose to 1981, Fort Washington Golf Club, Fresno, California. Ring a bell? The final round of the tour qualifying school? I was playing to win. Tried to hit that same impossible cut three-wood into the wind from a hilly lie? I was playing to win. Five in a row, out of bounds. So you finally pulled it off and tapped it in for a crowd-pleasing 13. When a 12 would have got you on the tour. Now that was a defining moment. Greatness courts failure, Romeo. You may be right, boss, but you know what? Sometimes par is good enough to win. Even though Romeo loves his buddy, even he realizes Roy is his own worst enemy at times. That night, Roy has to pay a visit to his stripper ex-girlfriend, Doreen, played by Linda Hart, whom he still owes $12,000 to. Doreen now runs the strip club. Roy, of course, doesn't have the money. He instead offers the deed to his driving range and makes a plea to Doreen that she not sell right away. Doreen begrudgingly accepts, but says the range is only worth $10,000, so Roy still owes $2,000. 
in cash. So he pawns his golf clubs. And Roy still has a client to attend to, and that's Molly. Mr. McAvoy, I can appreciate that you have a fairly laid-back, relaxed lifestyle, but I have hours to keep. All right. Former Paramar once described my fluid sense of time to being born under the sign of Pisces. Something about floating through the universe. No, you amuse me, Roy. <laughs> but I'm the only woman in America born after World War II who thinks astrology's a crock of shit. Now let's see if the big dog will eat. Waggle. I'm waggling. Set up the ball like I showed you last time. I am setting up to the ball. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ho hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Quit trying to wring the club's neck, Molly. Mm -hmm. right. Show a little warmth. Right. A little compassion. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, this game's about trust and touch and letting go. So why I suddenly enhance your technical prospects? Why don't you tell me all about your personal life? That's none of your business, Roy. Your boyfriend's a goth. That's my bet. And he's the reason you're taking this game up. Hmm? Hell, I probably even know him. Get your hands off her ass, Roy. Hi, honey. Hi, darling. Let's take her to Miami for the fucking Doral. How am I supposed to compete with that? Man, you are having a bad week, aren't you? <laughs> so, yep. Molly is dating Roy's arch nemesis, David. Dejected because Roy is starting to have feelings for Molly, he confides in Romeo, who flippantly suggests that Roy should just win the U.S. Open, and that would impress Molly. Roy, instead of taking Romeo's suggestion as a joke, now has a motivation in an attempt to woo Molly from David. If Roy were to win a few preliminary tournaments, he could actually qualify for the Open. However, Roy just pawned his golf clubs, so he needs to raise some cash to get them back. He does this by hilariously hustling a rich local amateur golfer by playing with gardening tools and a baseball bat as his clubs. Let me get this straight. You gonna play me for four hundred dollars with those? Yeah. I give you two strokes aside. You ain't got no four hundred bucks. Well, I got tied on my car for collateral. I ain't interested in that piece of shit. That's because you think of it as transportation, boom. Think of it as bragging rights. Think of yourself sitting around the bar crowing to your cronies about the Cadillac you won from me. <laughs> Don't forget all about the, the Winnebago you lost to me. I'll call the INS on you, you little midget. I'll be playing a pink lady today. That little pink fag ball supposed to intimidate me? Well, not unless I knock it by you. Louisville Slugger, please. Get the hell off my golf course. Uh, need a receipt? 
Roy decides he needs to mentally gear up for his quest to qualify for the Open. And to do this, well, he needs a shrink. Of course, he only knows one, Molly. (laughs) This attempt for therapy for Molly fails miserably, as Molly doesn't realize that Roy really wants to ask her out. She thinks Roy is trying to date another woman and gives him advice about how to ask this woman out. So Roy attempts to ask Molly out, but to no avail, of course. So while that failed, he does get something off his chest about the type of person David is. Well, I'm going to qualify for the U.S. Open and kick your boyfriend's ass. And whatever you think of me, you should know that your boyfriend, he hates old people, he hates children, and he hates dogs. And that broad's out there crying still, right? In the exit room. You're still in the exit room. Be well, buddy. I'll see you out in the trenches. I'm gonna run right now, but I'll see you later. No, it's either cover or nothing. They want you for you say the weekend. We're telling them it's either cover or no go. You got dinner with the Jeff right here. Excuse me, Mr. Sam. Would you mind giving our grandson an autograph? Can you people not see that I'm busy? I'm working here. This is my office. Do I come to your office and ask you for your autograph? I don't think so. Molly visits Roy at his trailer that night to apologize for misleading him during the therapy. And here we find out that Molly's had quite an interesting life, as she was selling real estate, trailers, and other gigs after following a cowboy to Texas, moving from her own home state of Ohio. And like a lot of psychologists, she got into that profession to figure out her own problems. Sometimes it's a lot easier to give advice than to live by the same theories. Molly suggests that she can professionally help Roy with the mental side of his golf game, as long as he realizes that their relationship remains professional. Roy begins his journey to qualify for the Open, and things get off to a good start with Romeo as his caddy. However, old habits die hard with Roy, and even though Romeo has Roy's best interests at heart, Roy can't help himself when it comes to playing the game in a smart way. Way I'm swinging today, nothing bugs me except insufficient applause. Give me the lumbar. Hey, I think you want to hit the two iron, boss. Said I want the big dog. You got a tight par five here, man, without a bonds on the left. Uh, I don't think you want to hit the driver. The two iron seems like the deal. Well, I'm not going left of those trees or right of those trees, okay? I'm going over those trees with a little draw. That way I get home in two. That way I'm putting for eagle now. You don't need an eagle to qualify. You need to practice playing it safe. No mistakes. Qualify, I want the course record. Now give me the lumber. You want the driver? Yeah. Hit the driver, tin cup. <laughs> well, I changed my mind. Give me the three wood. We can't clear that dog leg with a three wood, man. You want a bet? Fine. Take the three wood. Take it to show me what a golf pro does, man. Guess I'm going with a safe shot, boys. But you know, sometimes I fan that too. Ooh. You better give me the three. Is this normal behavior for him? Well, the word normal and him don't often collide in the same sentence. Sometimes I catch that three a little thin, too. 
And I've hit flyers with the four. Hit the damn ball, Roy. I hooked my five. I shanked the six. Sculled the eight. the nine. Tilly dipped the wedge. And I played the sand. Hunter? Yeah. There is old Mr. Three Wiggle, isn't there? But then there's a seven iron. I never miss with the seven iron. It's the only truly safe club in my bag. Yeah, unfortunately, the last clip was a bit edited, but before Roy decides to finish out the game with just the seven iron, Romeo quit again, saying that he couldn't bear to see Roy screw up everything all over again. While Roy basks in the glory of qualifying for the next tournament and hanging out with his range buddies, Molly isn't impressed at all. To make matters worse for Roy, David shows up to throw more cold water on Roy's victory. Hey, you ever shoot par with a seven iron? Why, hell, Roy, it never even occurred to me to try. <laughs> well, I bet you $1,000 against my car that I can beat you in any game. Any game, you name it, with a golf club. Come on, Roy, this is ridiculous. <laughs> what are you, chicken? What are you going to lay up the way you did in the Masters last year? Any game I need. Oh, David, Any come game. on. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I, I'm just going to teach old Roy here a little lesson. Oh, David, come on, let's go. Wait, wait, wait. Molly, I got... We'll just call this part of Roy's mental preparation for the U.S. Open, where the rough is deep and the greens are slick and the nerves are shattered. I'll take the bet. Oh, yes! 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 All right. <laughs> what's, the, what's the game? Your seven iron, Roy. One swing each. Whoever hits it the longest. It's a lot. I hit the seven iron like John Daly hits the three. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken yeah. dinner! Yeah. We'll take my beer, Kurt. Yeah. Thank you. Right here, okay? Fine with me. You know, you guys are really being childish. Leave this one to me, darling. I know what I'm doing, too. You know what? I'll see you both in the bar. Bye. Dollar bills.
Hey, them signs are at least 30 yards further. Hey, Earl, that ball must have gone 220. Not 227. Told it a bit, but it'll do. That's an easy Go ahead. Take your time. Number up. Fine with me. Yeah, it's all right. I don't need to. Well, yeah, take your jacket off. No. No, I'm fine. You're gonna have to muscle up, big guy, to get it out there. You gotta give it the old... <laughs> Steroid, jerk! <laughs> yeah. What the hell's he doing, Yep, it's always one step forward, ten steps back for Roy. As much of an asshole that David is, he taught Roy an important lesson. It's always better to play smart instead of always going for the glory. And if you couldn't tell from the clip, Roy tried a traditional shot on the range and drove the ball almost 300 yards. However, the bet was whose ball goes the farthest, and David noticed a paved road on the opposite side of the range and simply hit the ball down the paved road, which probably went a thousand yards bouncing all down the pavement. The next tournament, without Romeo, Roy has Earl be his caddy, and Earl is less than enthusiastic in following Roy, especially in the Texas heat carrying a bag full of clubs. Earl is eventually helped off the course by his buddies. Roy does end up qualifying for the Open, but he knows he can't succeed without Romeo's help. In church next Sunday to save me from the double bogey blue. Rose, you come back. Man, you should have been there. I drained a 30-foot snake to qualify. Earl gives me the straight read thing breaks half a dozen times. <laughs> oh, I missed you, Pods. I missed you. Okay, don't talk to me, but you're still my guy. Look, it's a little late to be pissed off. I mean, we're in the open. You and me. All right, fine, be like that. Say, has Molly been around? You know what? Neither her nor me nor the god of golf himself is going to keep you from blowing up in the open. Well, I made it this far, didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? All I got to do is hold it together for 72 more holes. A lot of triple bogeys waiting out there to grab your skinny white ass. Are you complaining again? Is that, is that what I hear? Are you complaining again? <laughs> You're back, whining, bitching, pissing, moaning. You're back. Huh? You're my man. Well, you didn't fall in love with Earl to be your caddy? Oh, Earl, geez, he's a wheezing heart attack waiting to happen. Cost me three strokes a side. Hell, I had to carry the bag the last four holes. I love Earl, okay, but 
I need you. You don't love me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love you too, goddammit. Well, as much as Earl? I don't know. I mean, when I was with Earl, I was thinking of you. Yes, uh... As much as Earl. More than Earl. More than Earl. Am I special? Well, if you can remove the sexual overtones and add a golf theme, then Romeo, I am your Juliet. In that case, Julieta, I am your caddy. One more time. Cheech Marin really is great in this role. Anyway, even though he gets Romeo back in his corner, Roy has a major problem. The Shanks. So nobody's heard from Molly, huh? You got it bad, huh? <laughs> Something about that chick. Something about that chick. Little chili dipper there. <laughs> Hey, be sure to do that in the open. It really impresses them. <laughs> Rome. Yeah, I'm watching. That ain't no chili dipper. Looks like you got El Jose. The Laros. You know the escort? What am I doing wrong? I don't know. The shanks are like a virus. They just show up. Nobody can figure them out. Rooms? Yeah. Something's terribly wrong. Rome, something's wrong. Yeah, it's okay. Well, what's, uh, well, what's your guess? Uh, it's got to be the woman. I thought you said it was a virus. Well, a woman can have the same effect. <laughs> what, uh, what do I do? Um, just, just keep swinging. One, be fine. Don't say a fucking word. I'm inside if you need me. Yep, if you get the shanks, you're toast. Every ball you hit is off. If Roy doesn't get it right, he'll be a complete joke at the U.S. Open. All right, this is a perfect time to leave off. So will Roy get rid of the dreaded shanks? And does he have any sort of chance with Molly? And how will he do in the U.S. Open? Of course, it's all answered in the final action-packed hour. And the ending is awesome and just very memorable. Even if you're not a fan of golf, and I certainly am not, this is still a very enjoyable film. Again, this might be the best golf movie ever made, even though I do love Caddyshack and Happy Gilmore. Kevin Costner is just a natural athlete, which makes watching his sports films so enjoyable. And you might be wondering where Roy's nickname of Tin Cup came from. Well, you find this out during the U.S. Open, but it's too good not to share. Roy was a catcher on the high school baseball team, and the star pitcher would often throw curveballs that Roy would often miss with his mitt. Hence, Tin Cup became the name that stuck with Roy. Really adds meaning to a two-ball count, doesn't it? All right, some fun facts. Janine Turner and Michelle Pfeiffer were considered for the role of Molly before Rene Russo got it. For David, Pierce Brosnan, Alec Baldwin, and Dennis Quaid were considered before Don Johnson. Quaid has said in interviews that he really regrets not taking the role. Kevin Costner and Don Johnson are good friends in real life. 
And also that Johnson was considered to play Elliot Ness in The Untouchables, but actually he turned it down, and then it went to his friend Kevin Costner. John Leguizamo was offered the role of Romeo before Cheech Marin was cast. And as good as Leguizamo is as an actor, Cheech Marin was perfectly cast. Cheech Marin actually disliked golf until he joined this film, and then later became an avid player of the game. Kevin Costner, though a natural athlete, was trained by pro golfer Gary McCord to actually learn how to play golf. So McCord is actually the -the on-the-course announcer during the tournaments. So if you watch the movie, many of the golf shots by Kevin Costner's character were actually shots by Kevin Costner himself. All right, we have two special guests, Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast and also Podcast Rock City, a KISS podcast, joins me to discuss this film. And we also get Bill Roseberry, who's been on many times before. If you didn't know already, Bill was a sports writer for over a decade, and he talks about Tin Cup. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Bill Roseberry. Welcome back, Bill. How's it going, Brian? Well, it's great to have you back. And, uh, of course, you're a big sports fan. This is one um, that you definitely wanted to do when I had mentioned the list of films. And uh, I, if, we'll just start right from the bat. Do you, are you a big golf fan? Um, I wouldn't call myself a big golf fan. Um, I do enjoy the game. I respect it a ton. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of the hardest things in, in sports, I think, you know, be good at. I it, it's so difficult to me. It, it, and I think what's frustrating about golf to play or, or anything or from the outside looking in, it looks like it should be simple. Sure. It doesn't take a whole lot of physical exertion or strength or anything else to be good at. It just takes precision and, you know, in, in practice and, and, and getting the form of it down and, and can hit a beautiful shot and be excited about it and then follow it up. Just absolute shit show of a (laughs) follow-up shot. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I almost got a hole in one, one time in my life Mm -hmm. and, uh, put it up on a, on a par three and it rolled within a few inches of the cup and I still parred it. Wow. Yeah. That's how bad I am. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's probably the one sport that no matter how good you are, you can never perfect it. And it will, it will always humble you (laughs) no matter how good you are. So it is a very humbling sport. Um, and, uh, although, uh, this movie we're about to talk about, I don't know if it ever humbled, uh, (laughs) <laughs> that's true uh, you have lots to talk about so we'll, we'll we'll definitely get into that so we'll as we're recording this it's actually the um exact time of the masters which is probably, right. probably the, the most popular golf tournament uh around uh when this first came out did you see it in the theater absolutely not yeah. really uh to be honest i just saw this movie uh in 2020 for the first wow time. wow it was while i was dating my my ex-girlfriend now brandy uh-huh. Um, she loves Kevin Costner and she went and grabbed it. And, uh, we, we were out one day and been out to dinner and stopped by Walmart or something. And our, I, I can't remember that, but anyway, she saw it mm-hmm. and she was like, you've never seen that. We're buying it. We're watching it tonight. And we watched <laughs> it and it kind of pissed me off. You know, that's that it, it movie kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety because of how he is in there. But I had to watch it, and I knew it had been on my radar for a long time because when I would go golfing with my buddies, they would always yell at me because my buddy Brian is always like, we were golfing one day, and he goes, you know what? I think I'm just going to use my seven iron on this whole hole. <laughs> and all the guys start laughing. We're in a force, and the other two guys start laughing, and I just go, why would you do that? <laughs> 
looked yeah. at me. He goes, what? They all three looked at me. He goes, what do you mean? Why would he do that? And he goes, have you ever seen Tin Cup? I said, no. He goes, oh, my God. And they started yelling at me. You know, they were they were mad at me because I'd never seen Tin Cup. And uh, once I watched it, then I, I got it, you know, and it's hilarious. And the fact that he, he was playing golf with, like, you know, uh, gardening tools, too, that was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a it, – it, it's for anybody that loves the game of golf and, and doesn't, you know, love the pretentiousness of the game of golf. Right. Will love Tin Cup. Like I said to you off mic, it's like the actual real-life version of Happy Gilman. Oh, totally. So if, if someone had said to you, that kangaroo stole my ball, you'd get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now. That's the goal. That's <laughs> um, okay. So did you not see the film initially because you don't like Kevin Costner or because you just didn't you thought it'd be a boring golf movie? Uh, he just got through my radar, man. No, I absolutely love Kevin Costner. Okay. I wish I would have seen it back in the day because uh, truthfully, sometimes watching the character Roy McAvoy is hard for me, even though it's a good movie, but it's hard for me to see him act like that. Cause mm-hmm. to me now, I don't know about you to me, he's John Dutton. I watch mm-hmm. Yellowstone religiously. Okay. And he's like this hardened old tough ass guy in there and, and watching him just be an absolute loony bin head case in tin cup is almost maybe harder for me now and more frustrating and gives me more anxiety than, you know, boy, it almost sounds like I don't like this movie. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm about to say. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, it, it's, um, he's such a badass in, in hardened in, in Yellowstone. And then when you go back and watch him, I've been watching a lot of old Kevin Costner movies, uh, lately actually and stuff. I I'm watching field of dreams now. Mm-hmm. Um, after I watched Tin Cup, I watched Dances with the Wolves a while back. Um, again, I didn't see it. what what a beautiful movie that is. Oh yeah, yeah so yeah, definitely. no, I absolutely adored him. I uh, uh, Hatfield McCoy's a while back. If you ever saw it, which was a TV movie, um, yeah, and like he a was yeah. fan fantastic as Devil Ants. I mean that that was like kind of almost a comeback for him for me. Maybe what happened with Tin Cup is I was just looking at his his filmography and. It landed right between um, Waterworld and The Postman. Right, right. Two movies that, I mean, they flopped pretty big at the time, and it kind of, he kind of fell off my radar. As as much as I loved Silverado when I was a kid, um, which was the first thing I can remember seeing him in, and then Dances with Wolves in Field of Dreams, and I didn't see Bull Durham until I was older either. Okay. Um, and I, I like it okay, but again, he's like kind of head case guy, and you know, it kind of kind of bothers me a little bit. And then, you know, uh, after some of that stuff, he started, you know, I, I loved his old Robin Hood movie when I was a kid, and I'd seen The Bodyguard and some of that stuff. And then, and then he started to kind of fall off my radar again. I don't think he really came back on until like Open Range. Hmm. Did you, you never saw you never saw No Way Out? I did as an adult okay. again at way after it came out, and good movie. Yeah, um, you know, Open Range is one of my favorites with him. I mean, uh, if you've ever seen that, it's a it's a western with him and Robert Duvall. Oh, I gotta check it out. I have not. Oh, you've never seen it? Oh, no. Fantastic. It's got um, Annette Bening's in it also. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's great. Um, Robert Duvall and and uh, Kevin Costner are cattle rustlers, and they get kind of caught up in some stuff. And and man, 
I mean, Kevin Costner's a badass in that movie. It's it's a very, very underrated Western. I want to say it was about 2003, maybe, when it came out. Yep, yep I just little, looked it up. Yep. yep. Fantastic well, movie. I have you, it in my collection. If you haven't seen that, you need to watch it. So yeah, You have to respect the guy because, I mean, he's really carried his career through all these different changes, and most people can't do that. And he's still a star. I mean, with the, I mean, he's arguably as big as ever because of Yellowstone. He's, and He's uh, unbelievable. And you're yeah. right. I mean— I mean, this is like what he's doing right now. It's like uh, there's two things that I have always loved about my Kevin Costner, my version <laughs> of Kevin Costner. He's either got to have a baseball glove on his hand or a cowboy hat on his hand. <laughs> okay. And when he does that, I'm I'm all in. You know, I mean, it, it's the two best things that he ever does. So, you know, golf movie, I guess, just kind of fell under my radar at that time. You know, I was 20 years old when this came out. I was probably out doing a lot of other stuff too. So, sure. you know, golf, golf movie at that time. I was, I don't know if I ever even played golf at, at that point in my life. It was probably a little older when I picked up the game of golf. Okay. So, but, but you did like draft day though. Uh, yeah. Draft day wasn't bad. I saw it, uh, once, um, it was a decent movie. I don't own it, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he was, he was decent in it. Okay. Okay. Let's get, let's just get into the movie right off the bat. Do you think the film was too long? Um, it just, it's one of those, it's, it's a comedy and it's over two hours. It's two hours and 15 minutes. So first, would you, do you think it's too long and should have been edited down a little bit? Yeah, maybe a little bit. There's some drag there, uh, building up stuff with him and Renee Russo, I think. Sure. Um, that probably could have been, you know, shortened and, and, and taken out. Um, so yeah, I, I would say I forgot that it was that that long when I rewatched it. I was like, man, this is a little longer than what I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of Renee Russo, uh, I think she's great in this role. Um, but there were other people that were considered. One being like Michelle Pfeiffer, which I, I could have seen. Uh, would would there have been a different actress you would have picked if um, if you would have changed Renee Russo? It wouldn't have been Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. I, I don't. I don't really like Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know if we've ever really talked about that. I used to mess with my grandpa when I was a kid. I, <laughs> I said she looked like a fish. I said it looks like her eyes were on the side of her head. My grandpa used to get mad at me all the time. I don't know. It's just I'm, never, she I'm really with your grandpa on that one. <laughs> you know, Renee Russo is sneaky. I was thinking about it watching Tin Cup. She's like kind of sneaky. Goes under my radar. I have a lot of Renee Russo movies from that time frame. Yeah. Where I didn't even. I mean, Major League. It, she's great in that lethal weapon movies. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think there's probably a lot of other ones, but those were like movies that I watched religiously growing up. So, I mean, when I see that she's in a 10 cup movie or something like that, she just had a good way of playing opposite of like these, these tougher guys, more rugged guys too. You know what I mean? So seeing her with growing up for me, seeing her with Mel Gibson, I love that seeing her with Tom Berenger, you know, I, mm-hmm. I love that. And then, and then Kevin Costner, I mean, it just, it was just a good, good fit for me. So no, I, I never thought anything, you know, different about her. I mean, if you want me to be honest, talking about the cast, I think maybe my two favorites are Cheech. I think yeah. Cheech Baron is phenomenal in it. Yeah. Um, and Don Johnson, you know, I thought Don Johnson was, was great in this, which to me, the only thing I really even paid attention to Don Johnson on was, you know, Miami Vice. Right. Other than that, I didn't I didn't watch anything else. So, um, you know, I was question. I know I, I had a question and I hadn't never checked this up. Did did Cheech and Don Johnson? Is this what got them on 
Nash Bridges? Yeah, is, is this what got them connected for that, or were they already doing that by 96? I can't remember. I'm going to double check, but it was right. It was it was in 96, so it's possible that they had already – maybe they're just a dumb coincidence, I think. I have never watched an episode of Nash Bridges. They're fun. No, those two guys, yeah. those guys did that together for a while. They did. It was like five or six seasons, so yeah. Yeah, never seen an episode of it, but I knew they were – doing that. I think that probably would have been around that time. So I think this was a good, um, a nice change of pace for Cheech Mara because pretty much at this point, everyone just thinks of him for Cheech and Chong. And so exactly. Tin Cup really gave him different opportunities to do something a little different. I think he's great because they were all, they were considering John Leguizamo. Uh, and I just don't think he could have pulled it off just like Cheech could. No, I mean, and I love John Leguizamo. I mean, great actor, especially at that time, he had a mm-hmm. nice resume going, but you Too know, young. Cheech, Cheech was just, he was perfect for it. I mean, him and Costner had a great chemistry together. They, they really did. did. I, they, yeah. I mean, they really, really did. I love the part where they're, you know, he's trying to get him back and they're like turned it into like a relationship <laughs> type discussion. That that just cracked me up, you know, or he's, he's, uh, he's telling him that he, you know, he was the only caddy for him or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That, the whole thing, like it was getting back together with an old girlfriend. It was, it was hilarious, and they played it off perfect. So you have lots to talk about. I'm just going to kind of turn the mic over to you because you had just rewatched this, and you said you had a lot, uh, a lot going on here. So what are you, what, what is your data dump from your last viewing? Well, I think I lessened my – the first time I watched it with Brandy, <laughs> <laughs> I was yelling at the TV at the end. Okay. She's, she's kind of laughing at me. She's like, oh, my God calm down it's just a movie i'm like he can win the fucking masters lay up you dumb shit <laughs> and he just kept shooting give me another one give me another one and i'm like i'm like oh my god and and i kind of got like that again this time and then i was over at my buddy's house for my fantasy baseball draft last weekend and i just got done finishing it and i said i was gonna do this and um and and i'm telling him i'm like what a dumbass i'm like i i, I just it blows my mind every time i watch it he goes you know what you're a dumbass. <laughs> Rene Russo was right. The other spin on this is if it was a normal, if he did what you wanted, who'd give a shit about this movie? Because exactly. it's, the same, it's the same thing. And that's ultimately why I own this movie. Yeah. The uncomfortableness, uncomfortableness that it puts me in is what makes it great. Yeah. Because I did not see that coming at all. And why I didn't, I don't know. So here's a question for you. It doesn't have to be for golf, but just can, are there any examples just athlete wise, because you're a big sports fan where you, there's a similar uh, Roy McElroy where he just always he, it's always one step forward, three steps back like he can never get ahead. Can you think of any examples in real life of, of guys like this that just can never get out of their own way? Yeah. And I usually hate them. Um, and I'll use okay. my perfect one. The Cardinals just thank God got rid of his dumb ass. <laughs> Um, and he was a great player for many years. Matt Carpenter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Matt Carpenter had a season, had a couple seasons where he started hitting home runs. Mm-hmm. And he became this pull-happy idiot that just hit into the shift every time and <laughs> couldn't hit worth a shit anymore. And he yeah. just, true to form, just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. In the early, you know, 2012, 2013, when they got Carlos Beltran and and, you know, and, and Matt Holiday and David Freeze is still the man. And, you know, they got all these other hitters around him and he's at the top of the order. 
He's hitting the ball the other way. I think he led the league in doubles one day, one year. He hit like mm-hmm. 50, 50 doubles, but he only had like eight or nine home runs. But then he has that year where he blows up and hits like 37 home runs and, right. finishes and, and completely changed his swing. He had one of the greatest on-base percentages in the history of the Cardinals organization and uh, yeah. up there all time. You know, there something something happened. They decided he was decided he was going to be a power hitter and it ruined his career. And I don't I don't get it in watching him continuously hit a ground ball right at the second baseman in the shift. Mm-hmm would just piss me off. And I mean, he just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that. I totally remember when it was, okay. He was a good average hitter. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He he, he couldn't hit 200 towards the end and he was hitting close to 300 and getting on base at over a 400 clip, you know, less than 10 years ago. Yeah. Yep. I I think uh, it seems to happen a lot in football, which is the guy that, um, he always gets you so close, but then just can never win the big game. Or, or there's always something at the end that they screw up. My dad always uses well, it's a little bit before our time, but Steve DeBerg, he was the, he was the quarterback before okay. Joe Montana. And he's like, he'd, he'd be playing this great game, but you knew in the fourth quarter he was going to throw a key pick. Kirk or, Cousins or, would be a good example. Oh, great example. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think even at times Jimmy G is the same way too. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. So, okay, so going back to Tin Cup, what are the other things that, that stood out for you? And um, obviously you're getting over um, <laughs> some of your hatred of this film, I think, the more you watch it. Well, and I wouldn't say I hate it. I didn't I didn't hate the movie at all. Okay. Like I said, I love the, the fact that they made me feel so uncomfortable in that moment that's why i bought it sure when i got done i was so angry and i'm like but it wasn't angry like in a bad way it wasn't angry like i'll use a movie that that i i don't watch ever because it pissed me off so bad is no country for old men because the end oh, yeah. is so yeah. i i can't i can't stand it and then i watched the movie the road with vigo mortensen which is also based on a cormac mccarthy book mm-hmm. and it ends the same way and i'm like all right it's just Carmack Mark McCarthy sucks ass. Yeah. So I don't watch anything that has to do with him ever and, <laughs> or read any of his books because, you know, it's just, it's all like that. But no, Tin Cup made me uncomfortable in a good way. So I, I, I wouldn't okay. say I, I don't hate the movie. I was mad at the end though, the first time I watched it. Um, I love the party atmosphere of the movie. Like I said, that happy Gilmore vibe to it you know Mm -hmm. um and uh just him wiping that smug smug look (laughs) off of don johnson's face is badass you know i mean i mean i just wait in moments for that movie for don johnson to look at him be like i eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast (laughs) and he looks and costner looks back at him he says you eat pieces of shit for breakfast (laughs) no i mean i just it just seems like you could almost fit that line right into that movie and it wouldn't seem weird Right. I mean, it's, it's like Happy Gilmore. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah. So his his buddies traveling with him, they're all drunk on the RV with him and all that stuff. And, you know, that one part where she's late, Renee Russo's laid in bed with him and all his buddies are just passed out all over the <laughs> RV. And and she's like and he's like, it's not always going to be like this. And she giggles and she goes, yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. Yep. <laughs> I mean. Just he's like watching a train wreck, man. I mean, he is, and he's a good, he's a good person deep down. He really is, but he's just, 
he's just an extremely fucked up, flawed dude. And um, it was also what endeared me to the 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 um, character too. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the the cockiness of him sometimes would crack me up, like him him winning the car from. <laughs> uh, or winning his clubs back and he won the car too right with the, yeah he was playing with the uh with all the uh lawn and gardening tools i mean yep. yeah i mean unbelievable it was it was so funny watching that happen so well it was interesting because as a therapist you think that renee russo's character's got it all together but the whole reason she became a therapist is to figure out what's wrong with her which a lot of therapists right. do that and so you would think that they're kind of a mismatch because she supposedly got her life together and here's this you know screwed up case but they're actually kind of perfect for one another because they bring out the best uh in each other exactly yeah i mean um i i agree with that i mean she you realize when your movie first starts you think she's you know, like you said, got it all together. But as it goes on, you realize she's about as screwed up as he is. Yeah, you know? exactly. And uh, I also loved how they were all how she, um, Cheech and and Costner would all keep telling her that uh, Don Johnson was mean to oh kids, people and kids. And, kids yeah. and the whole time you're just waiting, and she's just like, "Oh no, he's not. Whatever." And then and then there's that one part part where the cameras are off and he yells at that kid with like his grandparents <laughs> or whatever. And yep. you're like, Oh, he is. Look at him. He's being mean to kids. Oh, dogs. That's what he's, yeah, he's mean dogs. to dogs and kids and old people. Yep. And so that was great. Cause you kind of forget about that statement. They made it a couple of times. And then all of a sudden I just laughed out loud when he started yelling at that kid and, the, and his grandpa or whatever. And then he goes right up to the hot young blonde and starts talking to her, you know? Well, that's great comedy writing. So they, where you, you kind of dangled the carrot and then uh -huh. you forget about it. And then when you bring it back at the right exact time, it gets a huge, laugh and then that's that's a great example of that to kind of wrap up uh i'm gonna give you a, a hypothetical because there was never a, a sequel made of this what do you think ended up with with everyone do you think that uh uh roy and uh molly ended up together stayed together and do you think he actually made the tour is he basically still where he's at no i think they stayed together and i think um i don't know if he'd ever play on the tour full time i don't think he could have done that but you know making the cut here and there and showing up and do so doing something crazy and being just completely adored by the fans i think that kind of continued okay I mean, as long as he would stay true to himself i think as far as a you know the fans would probably love him you know sure um, and maybe he's giving he's still doing high profiled lessons potentially because of the yes. fame he got yeah yeah i would think he probably made a little bit more of success of himself Okay, so what are, your, what are your final thoughts? You know, like I said, if, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to watch it. If you're a, if you're a golf fan, if you're just um, a comedy fan, I would tell you, really, if you, if you enjoyed Happy Gilmore, <laughs> yeah. you're going to probably enjoy Tin Cup. And it's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable at the, towards the end. I think most of us in life don't like taking that many risks. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what ultimately makes me uncomfortable at that point now do you think because you're such a big sports fan it, it kind of made you uncomfortable somewhat pissed off and if you weren't as much of a sports fan it wouldn't bother you as much yeah i think i'd agree with that i mean because you know especially with me with a long time of covering sports yeah right exactly newspapers and and uh, all that i've seen so much you know, I ultimately, from all my friends that are coaches and, and past players and everything, you ultimately, you want 
people to take risks a little bit, but you want them to do the right thing. And you, mm-hmm. you want them to do the thing that's going to put them in the best position to succeed. Thank you so much, Bill. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right, we're back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock Podcast and Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. It's time to tee off. Oh, good to be back. You know, I love those sports movies, especially <laughs> if I play the sport. Okay, I that's that was my first question. Are you an avid golfer? I I don't know. Avid's probably a strong word, but uh, okay. <laughs> uh, there was a time in my life I was golfing maybe thirty times a year. I probably only golf maybe once or twice a year now. But uh, I even, and I'll tell you the story a little bit later, but I even like caddied for a good friend of mine that was going to be on the tour, that kind of thing. Oh, uh uh-huh. So what got you into golf and and, uh, what what age were you? I did not swing a golf club until uh, 1998. Yeah, after this movie. Uh, I knew about it, obviously. Um, Hadn't really tried it. Had been to a driving range once or twice, but didn't super enjoy it. And then I ended up uh, being a store manager at Target and everybody played golf, especially Mm. my boss. He absolutely loved it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to probably have to pick up this game. Otherwise, I'm going to be, you know, it's just part of fitting in, right? Sure. I'm the newbie and I don't want to be the guy that, oh, I don't golf. I don't do that stuff. You know, so it's like, eh, maybe try it. And then I met friends that were huge into golf. And then that just kind of took me to a different place. Yeah, it's definitely a schmoozing tool in yeah. many ways. Yeah. Um, so were there any other sports that you played prior to, prior to golf just growing up? Uh, yeah, I played football and baseball and uh, basketball. Okay. Uh, so I, those were my three main sports. Um, that's why, like, if there's, like, a soccer movie or a hockey movie, like, I can't really get into it because I understand the game, but I didn't play it, so I don't have any ties to it. Sure, sure. And actually, there haven't been that many golf movies. I mean, I'd say the most famous would be Caddyshack, and it is a golf movie, but it's more of a comedy, and you could say the same thing about Happy Gilmore. Uh, But this is one of the really first, and I wouldn't say first because there was The Legend of Bagger Vance, but this is one of the few semi-serious films about golf. Yeah, and all four of those golf movies are great in their own right. They're just different. So I I had a previous guest, Bill Roseberry, who's an avid sports fan. He was a sports writer. Uh, he gets frustrated by this movie because of obviously the main character um, just constantly sabotaging himself. Do you are you just more entertained by the whole deal and uh, you know by the actions of the Kevin Costner character, or are, do you actually get frustrated by what what he does to his not only his game but his life? No, I, I'm not frustrated by it. I think it's just very interesting that a guy who is confident can become overconfident in a matter of minutes go into a spiral, then become confident again, go right back to overconfident. Like his emotions are jumping and I know people like that. So, and for golfers, I mean, the shanks can show up anytime. Yeah. You can hit a good shot anytime. Like, so if you're now, you know, I wasn't, I'm not a pro like this guy was, uh, seemed to be, but uh, it's just, it's one of the parts of the game that it's, uh, You kind of get this strut after you hit two or three great shots and then you'll miss like the easiest putt on the planet and then you'll just feel like shit on the next hole. Like it's it's the game's just like that. It's the most humbling game there is. And it's it's a sport that no matter how great you are, you can never master it. No pun intended. Uh, I just watched a documentary about uh, Greg Norman, who was always this. Yeah, he'd get to the point where he was always kicking ass the first three days, and then he would just blow it on the last day. And it was just became this ongoing 
ongoing thing. He did win some majors, but it was just always he could never win the Masters and he'd come close. But whatever happened, it's I guess maybe golf is the most mental of all the sports. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's not only it's straight up a head game. There's actually yeah. no doubt about that. But you have to be you have to have both sides of you. You have to have the Roy McAvoy and the Sims. Yeah. There is times you have to play safe and there is times you got to go for it and you cannot be too extreme on one or the other. And I think that's what the greatest golfers do is they know when to take the chance and they know when to lay up. Right. So even though um, the Don Johnson character, David Sims, he, he's a smart player. He does the right thing. He's a boring player. So actually, if you think about it financially and market, you know, marketability, marketability, Roy is actually the guy that you would actually uh, advertise around because he's like your, um, oh, who was the blonde guy that used to constantly um, hit the ball super, super far, but he was kind of a mess. Oh, John uh, Daly. John Daly. I like yeah. he would, he was great with advertising, but was he a great player? I don't know. <laughs> so, but yeah. people all I'll, knew him. Yeah. I'll tell you that, you know, boring player, VJ Singh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. John Daly getting all the highlights. VJ totally. Singh is rich as hell. John is. Daly is selling waffles at the waffle house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, but it's again, you're not going to, VJ Singh's not going to get the waffle house deal. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, some great side characters. And we already mentioned Don Johnson. It, it was great. You know, he kind of plays that smug guy and who knew that Don Johnson and uh, Cheech Marin would be together on a, you know, a very popular TV show, Nash Bridges. Cheech Marin, I think really is a key to this film. What do you think? There is not, I know Liguizamo was supposed to play, possibly play that part. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have touched what Cheech did. No, there no. is that flavor of, um, Hispanic because it's in Texas, right? Sure. So you kind of get that flavor. And mm-hmm. then you got a little bit of the flavor of when he got mad, it went to a little bit of a different language. It came back, right? So it kind of brought that into it. So you have to have somebody who's diverse, but you got to yeah. have somebody who's funny. Yeah. And you got to have somebody who acts well. There's not a lot of those folks that could have played that part. Right. And, uh, and Cheech Marin. I mean, he was kind of he at that point he's pretty much known for Cheech and Chong, and that's it. I think this really revitalized his career, uh, and uh, and I think Leguizamo was just too young. I there, you know, I think Cheech Marin was the perfect age to to bond with someone like you know Roy McAvoy. Yeah, and it uh, he sold well that they had been kind of through you know the trenches together, mm-hmm. and I thought that whole relationship with Linda Hart Doreen uh, was kind of yeah. a nice little side story. Like that was kind of cool. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun thing. So, and that's the thing about this film. It is a little bit long for a comedy, even though it's a kind of a, I guess you could call it a dramedy at times. Um, But they could do some of those side stories that I don't think they could have done if this was an hour and 45 minutes. And I thought they did a good job of it's a longer movie, but they don't spend, they don't make that four days of the tournament 90% of the movie. Right. They actually do a good job of not doing that. Right. Like they were left you. They gave you just enough to feel what was going on, but didn't go through every hole. Yeah. And that's I think the problem with sports movies is always comes down to that one big thing. And and frankly, it does here, too. But, yeah, as you said, it 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 didn't feel like it had to be all about that either. Yeah. And Costner, just awesome. I don't like Costner that much in some of the, you know, the the drama movies like. okay. and stuff like that. Like I don't watch Costner or any of that stuff, mm-hmm. but this 
movie, he was really, really good. He, yeah, and you could tell he's just a natural athlete too. He sells it like he actually looks like he could go. Yeah, and he took lessons, right? Which was a yep. good idea. And we've talked about this before. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna play a baseball player, you're gonna have to kind of figure out how to swing a bat. Like that's totally pretty dumb. Like if you're gonna play a rock star, you better like not look weird holding a guitar. Like that's, <laughs> that's <stupid. right. laughs> exactly. You gotta you gotta sell it. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Renee Russo? Do you think I always felt she was underrated as as an actress? And uh, would you do you think she was right for this part, or would you have picked someone else to to play that the Molly role? Yeah, I thought she did well. Um, you know, Russo had this kind of a very condensed, like, 10 or 15-year career. Yeah. It felt like she was in everything. Yeah. yeah. Right? I'd never seen her. Then she was in everything. And then I never saw her again. Like, it was kind yeah. of weird. But uh, Which kind of started with a baseball movie with uh, Major League. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Janine Turner, I don't think, could have mm. done it. Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, would have killed the role. So, but I thought Renee did great. I- She's an interesting character, uh, Molly, that uh, it's kind of the old adage that, you know, some of the the people that get into psychiatry are the ones that are screwed up themselves. And you would think in the beginning she's got it all together, but she was just as screwed up as Roy. That scene went in the Winnebago when yeah. she asked for the donut and didn't want the donut and to <laughs> show that she's nuts. Yeah, that there's not very many people that could have pulled off that because Renee Russo has this. um character that she can play that's very vulnerable but then when she needs to be flirtatious she can be very flirtatious and when she needs to be just straight up sexy she can do that too so yeah. the, the role fit her well yeah definitely do you think those two characters would last i mean we, we had just talked about uh, say anything and and if um Lloyd dobler and diane court would make it do you think roy and molly could actually make it uh i don't think so because yeah. if the story is and to me, the moral of this story is you got to be you no matter what, right? Even mm-hmm. if there's there should be a better you or you should make different decisions, Roy is happiest when he's being Roy. That's just yep. how it is, right? And he tried to be somebody else and it didn't work out as well as he wanted to. So if he's going to be this guy that always goes for it, then sooner or later, he's going to get bored with Molly and maybe it doesn't last. Yeah, and she's eventually going to want someone that's somewhat stable, you know? That's right. That's right. Which is why she got into that profession, I think, to begin with. Yeah. How did how did you feel about the soundtrack? It, it's very kind of bluesy, you know, mid to late 90s. So normally these kind of soundtracks completely turn me off because they're kind of mm-hmm. part country, part pop, part almost coffee house at times. Sure. And then the country that it is is really that twangy country, right? Yeah. They are in Texas. <laughs> you know. This is the only country type soundtrack I own. I absolutely really? love this soundtrack. I can wow. listen to that Texas Tornadoes or that Joe Eli song anytime. Love it. I, I would have never guessed. I, I threw it out there expecting you to say, eh, not my bad. But hey, Sonny, Sonny surprises me. So what, what are your favorite tracks from him? I, I think you mentioned a few, but what, what are the other ones? Yeah, I would say a little bit better than nada is probably one of my favorites. Okay. Character Flaw is absolutely one of my favorites. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. Uh, this mm-hmm. could take all night, which shows up a couple of times in the movie by Amanda yeah. Marshall. It's pretty good. Um, so there's, and I think it has absolutely to do with the movie. I'm not sure if there's no movie, I go pick up the soundtrack or whatever, but I think what it is, is when I hear the song, I picture the movie. I've seen this movie a hundred times. This is one of my yeah. favorite movies of all time. Right. So I think it, it just kind of brings me back to the place of where the movie is and, uh, it helps sell it a little bit better. 
Well, I think this is why soundtracks were so great in the 80s and 90s, because as you said, there were a lot of artists that you would like those songs on the soundtrack, but you weren't going to go maybe pick up a CD. I, I think Kenny Loggins for me is one of those. I, I'm not going to pick up probably one of his albums, but I own all pretty much all the soundtracks he participated in. So, yeah, I do. I do actually like Bruce Hornsby, the the way it is album, uh, but I've never got any of his other stuff, but he totally works on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He does. And it's interesting. Uh, you know, he gets the seven iron lesson from Sims. My yeah. go to is the nine iron. Like, I don't really hit a bad nine iron. I can shank any other club, including the putter. But for some reason, I don't miss with a nine. <laughs> so what was the story you were going to you were alluded to in the beginning? That oh, you were gonna yeah. Tell? Oh, my God. OK, so I got a friend of mine. Uh, he was turning 50. So he had played on um, the tour in his 30s, got married, had kids, et cetera, uh, starts his career, blah, 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 wants to get back on the tour, but go on the senior tour. Right. So he's about to turn 50. So he's got to get his game back and he's going to go to the, some of these qualifying rounds. Okay. So, uh I couldn't caddy for him in the qualifying round, which I think was in Reno. So I caddied for him on the practice round, right? So uh, we would, you know, we'd go out, you know, you're writing down, hey, there's a break here. There's a break here. This is 220 from here. There's 250 from here, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we're writing all that stuff down. I remember we were on like the third or fourth practice round and we're like 210 out. And he goes, all right, well, I guess I'll hit the five iron. I'm like, you can't get the five iron over that tree. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. I can get it over that tree. I'm like, you can't get it over the tree. Right. He goes, so are you going to give me the five iron? I'm like, you're not going to listen. Like just hit the three iron, that little shank thing you do. And it'll go under the tree. You can't get the five iron over the tree. <laughs> right. And he was adamant. And I threw the fire at him. He <laughs> hit the tree and I just dropped the bag and went to the 19th hole to go get a drink. Like, I was like, I'm done with you. If you're not going to listen. I don't understand why we're doing this. You, you didn't want to break his clubs? Oh, yeah, that would have been probably a little rough, yeah. <laughs> was that the last time you caddied? That was the last time I caddied. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm never doing that again. Oh, man. So when you have – have you had someone caddy for you? I have because I've played uh, Pebble Beach. Okay. And, you know, when you're playing Pebble Beach – you know, you know, people don't get to do that often. It's probably one once in a lifetime thing. Sure. You want to pay the couple of hundred bucks it takes to get the caddy because yeah. that person absolutely knows every part of the course. And, you know, after you pay them 300 bucks, if you're not going to listen, then you're just stupid. Right. You're, you're going to shoot 110 yeah. either way. You might uh-huh. as well listen. So that, that was going to be my next question. So you, uh, you basically took that guy's advice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit off topic, but I, I don't know if I've ever ask you this question what are, what are your favorite sports films because i know you love sports films but off the top of your head what, what are the maybe top five yeah uh major league i actually like one and two i okay. actually like the minors one too believe it or not <laughs> scott bakio <laughs> yeah yeah i yep. love it uh any given sunday love okay. love love that movie mm-hmm. uh this one for sure bull Durham. Mm-hmm. uh it's the natural yep Right. So it's it's the classics, I, except for the, you know, my major league, the minors is probably what would be the like the offbeat ones that uh, uh, kind of the contrarian views of, of uh, sports films that you like that a lot of people don't like. Um, you know, not everybody's in love with Happy Gilmore. I actually yeah. liked it. Um, oh, yeah. There was this stupid movie. If you remember Basketball, you remember that? Oh, movie? yeah. I, I own it. Yeah. We'll be covering it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of stupid. I like that movie. Yeah. Um. There's a uh, new series on HBO uh, winning the Lakers dynasty. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're kind of taking it to a new level. And I was a huge Lakers fan in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, they've got a little bit of 
what was real and a little bit outlandish. Because I don't really like, I'll watch the documentary type films that are about mm-hmm. sports, but I really want it, um, I want it a little dramatized, to be honest with you. Well, I don't know if you heard, but Jerry West is suing them oh, because he he's didn't pissed. like his portrayal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's pissed. He said he's going to take it to the Supreme Court if he can. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, Which oh, is interesting. He goes, yeah. I'm not that much of an asshole. You guys are portraying me wrong. And if you don't do this, I'm taking you to the Supreme Court. <laughs> he's doing exactly what he would do in the show. Exactly. <laughs> and if anything, he's just giving more publicity to the show. <laughs> That's right. I did. I haven't seen it. I don't have HBO, but I, I have seen the the clip for because um, I love I mean, I, I, the movie Airplane is my ultimate favorite movie. So, of course, I'm interested in the Kareem uh, scene and, and how he's pretty much an asshole. About yeah. He tells the guy to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Neither Magic or Kareem aren't super happy with that process either. They're like, yeah, it's a little taken out of context. Yeah. I can see where Kareem doesn't care because Kareem's, you know. He's kind of marched to his own drummer, but I can see how Magic would really care because his whole, um, you know, celebrity is based on what a nice guy is, you know? Yeah, and they're kind of portraying him as a big-time player that would pretty much do anybody, and I don't know if yeah. they're kind of trying to tie the AIDS thing in right at the end kind of thing, yeah. but, uh, yeah, not great. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think all of those athletes back then and even today were promiscuous, so, you know. Absolutely. No it, doubt. It wouldn't surprise me. As always. Hey, Sonny, thank you so much for doing this. Big time fun. One of my favorites for sure. Thanks, man. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.